Open your Bibles if you haven't already. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 um, is where we're going to be, but turn right now to chapter 8. Because this morning, we are coming back to our study of 1 Corinthians. It's been several months, I think it was before Thanksgiving, that we stopped. We've been looking at this book of 1 Corinthians, and we were in chapters 8 and 9 prior to Thanksgiving. Then we went into Christmas, and then we went into our study in Ecclesiastes. And this morning, we're getting back to it. We're going to get back to our study of 1 Corinthians over the next few weeks, up and probably until Good Friday and, and to, into our Easter message. And this morning, what I want to do is to do something I've never done. I want to do a, a review preview. I want to do a review of where we've been, and I want to do a preview of where we're going. And I call it this, I call it a LOL study, all right? <coughs> because what we're going to do is we're going to look at liberty in chapter 8, 9, and 10, how it's the big picture. Then we're going to look at how chapter 10 is going to tie us in to the doctrine of obedience. And then chapter 11, then all of these deal with the fact that we're going to be dealing with the concept of love. And I want us to have this in the forefront because obviously this week is Valentine's week. And love is going to be pushed in our culture. We know it is. I've been hearing the commercials. Make sure you get these roses. Make sure you get those candies. Make sure you do this. Make sure, <laughs> make sure you don't forget the day. And those of you guys who were in Sunday school, I didn't know if it was Friday or Thursday. Now I know it's Thursday, just so everybody knows. So when we talk about liberty, this was a subject that we were blown away by. Because if you look at chapter 8, down in verse um, 9, take care of this liberty of yours does not cause, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And what we wanted to see and what we wanted to understand here is how we're to use our liberty. And I tell you and I remind you, by going word by word and verse by verse and working through this book, I was blown away by the fact that this doctrine of liberty goes through chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, and it was also something we saw like in the book of Galatians. It's something you see in the book of Romans. It is a major doctrine. And if you were to ask a lot of people, what are some of the major doctrines? They would say, well, the doctrine of love, maybe the doctrine of holiness, justification, you know, sanctification. Those are key ones. I wonder how long it would take before you saw someone say, well, I think the doctrine of liberty. But that's exactly what we're finding that this is something that is very much talked about in the word of God. Three major chapters. You look at the length of 8, 9, and 10, and it is something that is very deep. And that's why we spend a lot of time on this concept. And we've been bringing it before you because God does spend a lot of time on this. But look at verse 1 of chapter 8. When Paul begins to talk about this subject, he says, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge, and knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. I thought it was fascinating as I've gone back and I got ready for this, how important it was that love comes right to the heart of this concept. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. How easy it is to forget that love kicked off our study of liberty. 
Now, remember, the book of Corinthians is a book written to people so that they get their pride attacked. They were very prideful people. They thought the world of themselves. And isn't it interesting that pride goes against love? We talk about love, and we talk about it being sacrificial from God's perspective. We're going to get more into the detail. But a prideful person isn't going to say, I'm going to give up my rights. If anything, they're going to demand their rights. And, and so we're being told, with liberty, don't destroy um, um, the, your brother. And when you abuse it, you abuse love. And so we're going to bring that back to the forefront. And I think it's important as we talk about love because we recognize the world's love leads to broken hearts. And the way the world loves is a far different way than what God does when he talks about love. The world talks about, I love you because you're beautiful. Therefore, I love you. And we're going to reemphasize that over and over and over. And this is the picture we used a couple of weeks ago of broken hearts from the passage in Ecclesiastes where we talked about the fact that there are certain things that can never be repaired. And, and I think every one of us could talk about broken hearts, how people have broken our hearts, especially in relationships, w- over time. And so much of it comes from the world's aspect of love, of how we love, but what we're really saying is we lust. And so it's interesting because the world... They, they, they promote this type of love, but they're really frustrated by it. And this week I was on Twitter, and it came up this subject, how to survive Valentine's Day, all right? And I thought, wow, this is interesting. And there was all kinds of tips. And some of these, well, I hope most of them are humorous, but the idea is I, I think you'll catch the idea of how the world recognizes that it's like a bittersweet day, Valentine's Day. So... If you're struggling with Valentine's Day, here's some good tips how to get through it. Number one, oh, it's kind of small. We recognize. Wait until February 15th for discount chocolate. All right. <laughs> so, and then tied to that, better yet, pretend you're sick on February 14th and go out on the 15th because dinners are usually cheaper. Chocolates and flowers will definitely be cheaper too. So we already established that one. All right. So I might be getting a little cough. <coughs> I already have one. All right. Number three, keep reminding yourself that Cupid rhymes with stupid. <laughs> I thought that was cute. Okay. Cupid and stupid, you know, because Valentine's is stupid. Buy those little hearts with love notes and throw them from your car at people <laughs> as you drive out. Okay. Which I thought was cute. Or study the little hearts with love notes so that you are prepared with thoughtful words. Would you be mine? <laughs> I love you. I mean, because like, you never know what to say. So you come up with, you know, anyway. All right. Don't accept an invitation from Al Capone to meet in the garage this Thursday. For those of you from Chicago, all right, all right, we got that. All right. And then meet your Valentine in the card aisle at the store. Pick out a card for each, read it, and then put it back. This one I've seen numerous times. And I'll tell you, for some of us who've already bought our cards, I'm telling you, it's amazing how much cards used to be, like a dollar. I pull off this card. It's a wonderful card, and it's like $9.99 or $8.99. But you deserve it. <laughs> okay? This is a little funny. Know that this is true. <laughs> this is if you've been through a bad relationship. Know that the El Paso Zoo in Texas will allow you to name a co- cockroach after your ex, and then we'll feed it to a meerkat on Valentine's Day <laughs> for, for a donation. <laughs> All right, I know. 
And finally, remember, it's five days away. Don't come home. Okay. Those are just tips on how to survive Valentine's Day. Whoops. Oops. We'll go back. All right. Take out your notes, all right, and fill in the blank with the idea of we're looking at the incredible, the incredible doctrine of liberty, all right? And so fill in the blank, liberty. And note that it's, it's very liberating, all right? And so what we want to understand is why is this so important? Why, when he gets down to verse 9 and he says that explicitly, why is liberty so important? Why is this doctrine such, so hard to, hard to deal with? The idea here that 8, 9, and 10 all go into this is because Jesus Christ has set us free. It is a key truth in the book of Galatians. It's a key truth in the book of Romans. It's the idea that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for our sins. And we are no longer to be slaves to sin. That's why that picture is so great. That picture of liberty is so great. That there's this idea that we are no longer tied to our sins. And because of that, guess what? We're free. Free from the power of sin, but most importantly, free from earning our sin, our salvation. And, and, and if we're free from that, then we also cannot lose it which is a key doctrine. And if I can't lose it, you're telling me it doesn't matter what I do, whether I'm a believer or not, okay, and I'm not going to lose my salvation, then I really don't have to worry about doing anything. And so therefore I can't lose it. And yet God is going through these three chapters, and we're just going to quickly remind you of the fact that he wants you to understand, you're right, you can't lose it. But you better understand, you better understand that it's critical how you use it. One author said this, if the law states that one can drive 55 miles an hour on a freeway, one has liberty to proceed at that speed. However, it's not always wise to drive at the lawful speed because of other factors, such as, let me get this, such as a severe weather storm or a fog or in a similar manner, we must all understand as Christians that because we have liberty doesn't mean we always do what we want to do. Sometimes you make sacrifices. Sometimes you make choices. So let's go through this. Here's three key passages on liberty, all right? Number one, the one we've already looked at, verse 9. Take care of this liberty, it says. That the, take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Remember the issue? Eat, eating meat sacrificed to idols. You can eat that meat. It doesn't going to cause you to lose your salvation. But somebody else might see you and freak out. And we said that this has so many ramifications for eating meat today as well as certain practices, going to certain restaurants, doing certain things, from card playing or dancing. You know, we want to be discerning on how we use our freedom. And the challenge is, and I thought, hope you've been thinking about it over the past few months that we've been doing this study, is what have I given up? That somebody who's not as strong, the weaker brother, the weaker brother is the one who could say, hey, if you, if you ever play cards, you're a sinner. And I'm like, no. They, 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 you know, and sadly, we know that stuff like that went on in the 60s and 70s. But would you give it up? In front of somebody, I'm not saying you can't play cards or go dancing or do something like that. 
eat the meat, sacrifice the idols. God could say you could do all of that other places, but maybe not in front of someone. And, and so when you give up your liberty, you are showing yourself strong, but you're sacrificing because you could say, I, I don't care what happens to other people. And so critical that we grasp that it's an aspect of love, dying to self, sacrificing. Looking at the next one, where the Apostle Paul brought us into this whole subject now of building upon the idea of giving up your rights to really giving up your rights. Because look at verse 1 of chapter 9. He says, am I not free? What's, that's the very essence of liberty. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? He replied it. Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? And the apostle Paul, I said, went from, I think, down to verse 14, 15. One of the greatest treaties in all of Scripture on why a pastor, why a person working for the Lord should be paid. And, and often this passage gets used out of context because people, we, you know, they'll use it to show, hey, let's talk about why we're going to pay somebody in the Christian ministry. But when you jump down to verse 15, here's that, what you need to understand. But I have used none of these things. And so the idea is he gave up his rights to impact the people, but then he went even beyond this because as we went through this chapter, it became all of a sudden an evangelism chapter. Because when you look at verse 20, he says, To the Jew I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without laws, without law, though not being without law of, of, uh, law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I might by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I might become a fellow partaker of it. He gave up his rights. There were certain things that he could do. He was perfectly allowed to do in each one of those situations. And this is where it's not a cookie-cutter case where I say that this is the way you always act. Sometimes that Paul would do certain things, and you recognize that it was based upon the situation. And I know that frustrates a lot of people because you'll say, well, like, you know, Paul will say, you know, circumcision isn't necessary. And then in the book of Acts, they have somebody circumcised. And you say, well, why in the world would you do that? Because it mattered. You know, it was a different situation. You had to use discernment. And part of that, I believe, is the Spirit of God's going to lead them. But there's biblical principles there that lead you to say, okay, in a certain situations, I am going to make these decisions. Now, what, what, what we need to grasp here is have we looked at our lives over the past few months and challenged ourselves that I really care about evangelizing? I care about how I treat my wife because, you know, how I act, I got certain rights. Sometimes I have to die to self. But my, I realize if I just demanded my rights, my kids are watching. My neighbors are watching. You're watching. We, we all have to deal with it. And then you go into your neighbors, your coworkers, your fellow believer. The Apostle Paul is saying, look, you need to give up your rights. At certain times, there are certain things you're allowed to do. You are at liberty. It's an incredible doctrine, this liberty. But use it wisely. And so look at verse 26. He says, therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself may, will not be disqualified. So 
I recommend we went into great depth on this. We studied the um, we studied these for several weeks, and I would encourage you read or, listen to our podcast. Go to the internet, listen to the podcast if you want to go more deep into this. But the idea here is just simply the Apostle Paul says, "I put effort into this," and and sometimes it is hard to bite your tongue to give up your rights, and it hurts sometimes. There are certain things that I've gotten, I've had to give up my rights in life for you, for the church, and I'll never get those things, opportunities back. And you've done the same. But I'm going to tell you, we're all going to be rewarded. That's what we talked about. We'll all be rewarded for this because God sees it all. And then look at this next one. Do not use your liberty to justify disobedience. We studied, uh, we read this verse earlier. Look at verse 13. Where no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. This is a passage we're going to study in context. As, you know, say, why does this have to deal with li- liberty? It's, we're going to go into this concept of obedience, and we're going to talk more about it here in a second. But it's going to talk in great detail. If you look from was it, chapter 10, verse 1, goes how many verses? 33 verses, we're going to get into this idea of understanding how God always wants us to be obedient, no matter what, what temptation comes over us. Instead of just saying, like, God is sovereign and he's never going to let me go through anything I can't handle, God's going to, more saying, God's not giving you any situation where you can't come back and say, oh my goodness, I was tempted and I couldn't do the right thing, you know? And, you know, one of the greatest illustrations is um, I've heard this often, and I just use it again, is um, say a man is beating his wife, and the police come, and, uh, and they say, sir, you know, you can't beat your wife. And um, the guy says, well, you don't know my wife. You don't know how she talks. She's always got an acid tongue, and I just, I, 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 can't, I can't stop. And I just have to hit her. And he says, well, are you hitting her now? And he goes, no. He goes, why aren't you hitting her now? He goes, well, because you're here. And, and you see, he says, the guy says, well, obviously, so you're telling me as long as I'm here, you don't hit her, right? And, and as long as I'm here, you don't act upon what your urges are. And the guy goes, absolutely. Well, then why don't you think that I'm always here? And, 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 and the sense is that we're learning that God is saying, I want you to understand there's no excuses for ever having to give in the sin. And, and it's going to be shocking when we go through this passage because there's a lot of people who justify Christian sin. And, and we'll talk about that as we go through this chapter of how you have to say, okay, there's certain things I can go into. And sometimes I can engage in sin and think to myself, oh, I've got liberty. But we're going to learn you don't. And so I'm looking forward to it as we go into this. And so the whole concept of liberty is a very deep one. These three passages give us a great insight into it. Um, And like I said, you can go deeper and deeper. But let's go now into the second section, and that is the idea of obedience. Fill in our LOL, okay, which I say is not a laughing matter, all right? And because when we understand liberty... We have to understand it's something that's powerful. And let me find that. I had this illustration. One author said this about liberty. He says, understand, I say, understand that it's not a joke. He says, 
when you understand liberty, it's like understanding fire. Fire, depending upon how it is used, can be either beneficial or destructive. When used correctly, it can warm a house, cook food, and create a romantic evening with your spouse. However, when fire is used incorrectly, it can lay waste to woodlands, destroy houses, or even devastate an entire city, as we saw the town, I mean, those apartments destroyed in Highland this week. The author goes on to say, Christian liberty is the same. When used correctly, it can be extremely beneficial, but when used incorrectly, it has great potential for destruction. And I think when we come to this concept of obedience, the idea of someone saying, oh, I'm, I'm saved and I can't lose my salvation, therefore I can act any way I want. No, you're going to see as we go through chapter 10 how important this doctrine of obedience is. And so I wrote in this, I wrote my notes, we are, not, we, are, we are free, but we're not irresponsible. We must trust and obey. We have a responsibility to listen to the heed what God says. Liberty is freeing. I don't have to sin anymore now that I'm a Christian. The concept is taught throughout the scriptures, just like up we hear, up here, James 1, 19, 25. Liberty means I don't earn salvation, but because we are different inside, I want to obey God, and I am no longer a slave to sin. But to be truly free means that you understand you must obey God. One author said, when a man is released from prison, he is not free to do anything he feels like doing, but he is free to obey the law. In the same way, when we are freed from, freed from sin by trusting in Christ, we are not given a license to sin, but rather we are free to obey him. And so because we're born again, we're changed inside, this is what we want to do. And look at chapter, just as a background, you'll, get, you'll catch, you'll see these people who all thought they were believers. We're going to read chapter 10, verses 1 to 6, how they acted. And the Apostle Paul's concept is, look, I want you to understand, these guys weren't obedient, and hence they weren't born again. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. For I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, the Apostle Paul writes, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which, was, which followed them and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as an example for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. And, and there's my challenge to you. Recognize that you know, you have to get hold of your cravings. You have to be able to stop your desire. You say, well, this, you know, it, it's like the young man I met 30 years ago who couldn't stop lusting after women. And, and he just said, that's who I am. It's like, you know, it's like I love potato chips. Well, this is who I am. I just can't stop lusting, can't stop lusting. Well, God can get control. Uh, like a person can control their diet. You can get control of your, your sinful desires. Well, here's what we did last week, and I didn't have enough time for it, and I thought, well, it ties into this concept of obedience, and we're going to do a background. Turn your Bibles to 1 John. Remember, I said this last week, and I don't know how many of you guys went back to this, but I went through five verses that there's five sections in the book of 1 John that deal with obedience. I thought, well, you know, this works perfectly to come back to this, and let's do it. So, we're really going to just focus on the, on the fifth one. But we talked about the Bible says in 1 John, by these things you will know that you, that you have eternal life. 
believers are people who are obedient. And 1 John is a book that over and over and over shows it comes through in the way you live. So look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. This is a repeat from last week. This is the message we've heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. How are you walking? Where did you go this week? What did you do? Because where you walk shows that you were in the light, all right? And believers are people who want to be in the light. Darkness is often pictured as sin in Scripture. Darkness, where people do things in the dark so no one sees. Hey, when I, we're going out drinking. It's, it's rare, you know, the, you know, when we say somebody's an alcoholic or drunk and they're getting drunk at 8 o'clock in the morning, we know they're really bad. But the majority of people who are going out drinking are going out at 10, 11 o'clock at night. So that no one sees, it's dark, it's dark in the bars. Dark, dark, dark. God wants you to walk in light. We said, look at, what are you claiming to be? Chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. Chapter 2, verse 3. By this we know we've come to know him. By this we know that we, if we keep his commandments, the one who says, I've come to know him. So the person who makes a profession, I'm a believer, and doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, a liar about being a Christian, all right? And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps, the word, keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who, who says he abides in him, again, makes the claim that he's a believer, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So Jesus walked sacrificially. Jesus walked obediently. If I'm going to say I'm a believer and I'm going to make this claim, and yet live a totally different life, God is trying to get you to understand. You don't have the liberty to play that game. God expects the believers to be obedient. Then let's pick up this one, your practice. And this is where we got to really last week, uh, chapter 3, verses 4 to 10. He says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Remember, sin makes no sense. Sin isn't logical. Someone says, oh, I can't understand. Why, am I, why do I have this desire to do this sin? Why do I have this desire to do that? All of us have to realize um, that sin makes no sense. One day, I, about 15 years ago, I talked to a woman who was abused. She was, she was sexually abused by her father. And she was having the hardest time to grasp it. And I said, you know, one of the things you have to realize, it wasn't your fault. And, and it wasn't anything that you had to do. And he's like, why did he do this? Well, because sin makes no sense. Nobody should think that through. Like, there's any logical reason or for, you know, want to do that. It's a perversion. And, and it's so interesting when you do word studies of twisted and not thinking things through right, is that that is where sin is. But it's no different when, for us, when you think to yourself, wow, why should I lie in a situation? Why should I steal in a certain situation? Because sometimes we do. Sin makes no sense. Sin is lawless. But the believer has been transformed and now wants to practice walking the right way. So verse 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Verse 6, the one who abides in him no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. So the person who loves God 
on a regular, ongoing practice who believes in Jesus Christ is not going to practice a life of sin. Now, this again, he's already taught if you mess up, you're going to confess it because believers aren't perfect. But believers are not going to live where they're going out to the bars, they're going out to the strip joints, they're going out and lying, they're going out and stealing. You're, you're not going to do this. You're not going to be somebody that, that I think is even more so... You know, it's easy to hit on the bars and the drinking and the other stuff, but I think so much you're, you're, you've got an acid tongue. I mean, that's sin, people. Let's get that down, that you're impatient, you're unkind, you're rude, all right? You, you know, when my wife tells me that I'm not a happy person and I don't have joy in the home, that hits me because I look at that as very much a, a cut on myself, and I want to improve on that because the reality of it is I want to do the right thing, and I don't want to walk in sin. So I, I want you to think about the way you think and the way you speak. If you're not a happy person, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, okay? So he says, verse 6, no one who abides in him sins. So no one who sins has seen him or known him. Little children, make sure that no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Jesus made us righteous, But the one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin. I mean, that is so strong. And I want you to recognize with liberty, you you don't have a valid reason to justify your sin. No one who is born of God practices sin. Because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin. You see that? His seed. God literally gets inside you as a believer and changes you from the inside. It's not just that I, I can say, you know, you follow these 10 things, don't do them, and, you know, and you'll be fine. It's come to faith in Christ, get transformed on the inside, and you don't want to do them. So if you find yourself wanting to do these things, you better turn to God and say, God, I need help because God, a true believer will not do them because he has his seed in him. Verse 9, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. The word is they're manifest. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Now, isn't it interesting? We've been talking about practicing and doing the right thing. And all of a sudden, here's this great doctrine of love. And then this part takes us into love. Look at verse 11. For this is the very message that we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as king who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slew him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. And so we're going to start to see how love comes into this concept of obedience. And, and tie it in to look at the next section. J- go down to chapter um, 3, verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not confess, condemn us, we have confidence before God. So the Bible says that if our heart doesn't condemn us, well, I thought we had a wicked heart. But when you get saved, you get a new heart according to Ezekiel 36. And so, and, be, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. That's my ongoing practice. And and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And so that is critical, that you believe in Jesus, 
The Bible says that unless one is born again, you don't go into heaven. How do you get born again? You believe in Jesus. You believe that he died on the cross. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. So the Bible says you need to believe in Jesus. And so verse 22, 3 here, this is the commandment. That we believe in the name of the son, his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and, and he in him. And we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And, and I tell you, we become spirit-led people. How do I know that I'm loving and I'm doing the right thing? It's because the spirit of God will say, Mike, you got to be patient, kind, not jealous, not bragging, not arrogant. And when I do that, then I'm obedient. And I'll worry about caring for other people, not just for myself. Because the selfish person is only oriented about self. Well, look at where this takes us. Verse 19 of chapter 4 through chapter 5, verse 2. Verse 19, this is the section where we learn in verse 8 that God is love. And then, so here we come, and it says, we love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that one who loves should love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. So the integration here is your love for God and love for others. This one person said, you know, you can't always tell how much you love God. And he, he, he equated it because we have our, a boiler, and I thought this would be applicable, but I don't know if our boiler has this. In a big boiler, you can't always tell how much water is in the boiler. But there's a device that tells you how much water is in it on the outside. And it's a little tube on some of the boilers. And if it's halfway up, that means the boiler is halfway filled. Well, look at your love for other Christians. That's how much you love God. If you're sacrificing it, it starts with your family. It starts with your neighbors. It starts with people in this church. And if you say, oh, I'm, I'm great and I love God, but you're, you're, you're bitter towards your family, you're bitter towards your church, you're bitter towards other believers, you're bitter towards people, then do you really love God? Which takes us then to let's understand love. Fill in the blank of your view of the intensely liberating doctrine of the agape love. All right? When, if, you'll, if you'll turn with me to... Matthew chapter 22, okay? And all these passages that we're going to look at have this word in Greek. You may not know Greek. It's the English way you transliterate it. It's agape. That's the noun form. Agapao is the verb. It is the Greek word for selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. It's the highest of four types of love in the Bible. There's erotic love there's brotherly love but then there's this agape love and what you and i need to know is that god up until this time looked at mankind and agape love wasn't prevailing prevailing in in the speech of the day it's not until jesus christ comes on the scene and all of a sudden, his disciples start writing about love and talking about sacrificial type of agape love. Do, does it burst on the scene and writers start to write about agape love? It is critical that we as Christians understand this is what God wants us to have operative in our life. So when we go into Valentine's Day this week, we understand it. 
So what I'd like to do is show you four key passages on love. Look at this, Matthew chapter 22. I want you to understand this doctrine here. And if you grasp this, and so I've shared this before, then you understand how important love is in obeying the instruction to love with liberty. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 to 40 Jesus is like days away from being killed. And he comes and he's getting tested in verse 36. Teacher, what is the great commandment, the great, the great commandment in the law? Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Hero Israel from Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Lord God is one. And you're going to love him. And then you see the second is, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these, the two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And he uses agape love. When you begin to grasp this, you want to become a deep theologian, start going back to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers and Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and start thinking about how does everything in here try to get me to love God and love other people? How were their people, the Jewish people, supposed to love? And then you begin to understand, wow, love was driving everything. This agape, this sacrificial love. And just so that you understand, look at this next sect passage. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. And I think you'll find this fascinating. I could have put Romans, and I, so I just jotted it up there, because it, it's, it's almost the exact same parallel verse, but Galatians is a little more explicit. Look at Galatians. The Apostle Paul is trying to justify that we're saved by faith alone throughout this book, and how when we're saved, it totally changes us and he says this, speaking about what? Our liberty in verse 13. For you were called to what? Freedom. What do you mean freedom? Liberty. Once you're saved, you're not going to lose your salvation. You're in. So you were called to freedom, brethren. Only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Well, wait a second. You mean I'm totally free? Nothing I do, nothing I say is going to make me lose my salvation? Fine, then I'm just going to totally speak my mind. I'm going to talk, tell people off when I want. I'm going to be rude. I'm not going to be nice. I'm going to be mean. When I, when I decide I don't think I want things in my, like things in my family, I'm just going to walk out. When I don't like things with you, I'm just going to leave the church. When I don't like this, I'm just going to do whatever because I'm, it's all about me. And Paul says, no, no. What I want you to do is to, to die to self. And, and I want you to sacrifice and obviously it starts in the home and it starts in this church and it starts in your neighborhood, it starts in your work. But we live in a world that the only reason they love is because they lust. And so look at, he says, but through love serve one another. For verse 14, this is what needs to be started along with this passage here in Romans. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in the one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wait, that's the greatest commandment, right? The whole law 300, what, 613 commandments. Think about that, how law, love drove every one of them. God is so concerned about this, agape love. And you want to be a deep theologian, think about how love operates out of the Old Testament. But then look at this, because I believe that fulfilled the Old Testament, but he's bringing it into the New Testament, and now we go to this passage. And this is the one I try to get you to always remember. 1 Timothy chapter 1, turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. 
the Apostle Paul's writing Timothy. He's trying to get the church ready to go, and he's, he's, he's working on this leader, and he says this. But the goal of our instruction, whose instruction? Christian instruction is love, what? Love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Those three descriptions we've studied, again, I think you have to go back to the podcast, we can go in depth, but he's basically describing a believer, someone who's truly born again, someone who's come to faith in Jesus Christ. He says the goal of our instruction, this is the end, this is what we're supposed to do. Listen, I can't tell you how important it is for you to grasp this. You know, you, you tell someone this is the goal, this is what you got to do. You know, th- this is what God is looking for us to do. You better have love in your life, but not the love that, that, that lust. The, the, you know, the world says this week, hey, there's this beautiful girl, this handsome man. Those are people worthy of loving. These are the people that are, are worthy of loving. But one commentator said, you know, the way the world loves, it's like salt. It's like craving salt. You crave it and you want more. It really never satisfies because it leaves you empty, really. That's the way the world's love works. All the commercials, all the advertising, most of it's going to be all about that type of love. And sadly, even the Hallmark station this week, you know, I watch these movies, and it always works where the people, they love people who are the beautiful and the handsome and the whatever. And it always works out, even though they leave and leave other people behind. That's another. So the idea here is think about this. How much are you striving for love? And turn, finally, just one last passage. The passage we'll get to eventually in 1 Corinthians 13. But there are 15 verbal descriptions. There, no other word has ever been described like love has. And I've asked you and I beg you, recognizing that our judgment is going to be key on love as we go into judgment one day. And so 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7 is a great section for you to memorize. And it says, but love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it doesn't seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Listen. The way you think, the way you speak, the way you act, and we studied last week your sins of omission. Am I patient, meaning long-suffering with people? Am I kind? Am I not jealous? Am I not bragging? How am I acting? And I love number nine in that list. Am I forgiving? We, you know, people, I, I've got people in my life sometimes, they let me know things I did 30, 40, 50 years ago, and they hold grudges. We, we got to let things go. Because everyone's going to sin against us, right? That's what's going to happen. Challenge yourself. Are you like this? Like operating in love? And I've asked you, I've told you, wake up in the morning, pray, and then through these passages, and then at night, do the same thing. All right. When I look at this, here's a great illustration. When you come to maturity, you have Christian love, or do you have immature love? Immature love says this. I love because I'm loved. Oh, she loves me. She gives me flowers. She gives me stuff, and I, therefore I love her, right? But the true love says I'm loved because I love, meaning because I love, I get into these loving situations. It's more what I'm giving rather than what I'm getting. Immature love says I love you because I need you. That's the way the world operates. 
Oh my goodness, I need you. I can't live without you. I'll die. I'll commit suicide if I don't get you. All right, which is incredible. We, I talked to somebody this week that was dealing with that situation just like that. I don't get this person. I'm going to kill myself. Well, that's immature love. Mature love says, I need you because I love you. Um, I need you because I love you because I want to do the best things for you. That's why I want you in my life. All right. So let's wrap this up. First and foremost, we talked about liberty. You are to yield. Like a road sign, you know, if everyone drove (laughs) without yielding, you'd have a bunch of crashes. Last night, leaving the church, I saw a crash. About eight, I saw the remnants of it. There was one here right outside the church around 8 o'clock down on uh, about 169th. Listen, ask yourself, am I yielding to people? Am I giving up my rights with my liberty? Jesus Christ was obedient to the point of death, Philippians 2 tells us. He gave up his rights And he was obedient to the point of death. Obedience sometimes is hard. Sometimes you feel trapped. Sometimes you feel like you can't get away. Sometimes you've got to do the hard thing. You know, I just got to, I've got to do this, right? Right. And and, and it's not going to be the easy thing for you. But I'm going to tell you for that passage, and I don't have time to turn there, but Philippians chapter 2 Everyone who does this, everyone who goes to obedience and honors God through whatever sacrifice they give, in the end, you win. You win. God will honor you for it. No matter how much you struggle through 10 years, 20 years, 30, 40, 50 years on this world. And then finally, let us remember this. As we're talking about love, I want you to love regardless of how you are treated like Christ. I put... Not a picture here, but I want you to read this verse with me. This is from the trial of Jesus. Then they spat in his face and beat him with their fist, and others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 5 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us. Help us to understand love, right? This is what I want you to do. LOL, don't go out laughing. Think about your liberty, your obedience, and your love. And I pray that you'll be strong and you'll make a difference in this world. Let's pray. Father, help us to be people that remember the LOL, the liberty, the obedience, and the love that we're supposed to have. I pray that this is a blessed time. Love isn't empty, God. It's reciprocated at the best We love someone, they love us back. I pray that our church is always filled with people who loved and are loved. I pray for our families, our marriages, our our relationship with our children. I pray for our relationship with one another, that we're always willing to forgive. We're always willing to be kind. We're always willing to be patient with one another. And that transforms into the way we treat our neighbors and our coworkers. This is a selfish world, God. Help us to always remember that we're supposed to be different. And when we're kicked and we're taken advantage and we have every right to not forgive and every right to demand our rights, that we remember the cross of Jesus Christ and that he died and gave everything up for us. Amen.